is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman Whiff. Is that really in the Bible? You know, the Protestant Reformation, maybe you've heard of that, was about coming out of the Protestants coming out of Catholicism. Now, <clears throat> um, really, when you think about it, they really didn't come out of Catholicism. They adopted many of the Catholic beliefs, such as the universal day of worship that the Catholic Church made holy, which is Sunday. They kept that. Kept that. They didn't come out of that. Uh, they adopted some of the same pagan holidays that the Catholic Church made holy, Christmas and Easter. So when you think about, okay, did they really come out of Catholicism? Well, you'll have to be the judge of that. Now, they did come out, the Protestants did come out of idol worship. Uh, in other words, if you go into a Protestant church, you don't see the statues of Jesus and Mary and all the, the rigmarole that goes on in, often in a Catholic uh, observance. You don't see a lot of that. But uh, the main thing that the, the Protestants was coming out of with Catholicism is, was that they believed that they taught, the Catholics taught, salvation by works. Okay? The Protestants looked at the Catholics' view of salvation and said they believe in salvation by works. Now, what happened is the Protestants jumped the ditch over into a belief system called antinomian or antinomianism, which antinomian belief is a person who maintains that Christians are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace. Okay, so, so okay, we're going to come out, the Protestants Protestant said, we're going to come out of Catholicism because they teach salvation by works, and that's crazy, okay? But they went all the way over to antinomian belief that Christians are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace. You know, the pendulum always swings from one extreme to the other. There's never a middle of the road. You know, here we got salvation by works, that's crazy, and antinomian belief, that's also just as crazy. You know, the, the pendulum always goes from one extreme to the other. I mean, you look at, I mean, you look at the beaches back, way back then, a woman would wear, I mean, totally covered up, head to toe, when she went to the beach. Today, the extreme is all the way to the other extreme, where, you know, maybe a, a woman would wear a thong or something like that, you know, but, you know, it's, it's never the middle of the road. It's never the middle of the road. Now, Satan's greatest deception is to keep one from receiving the Spirit of God. How does he do that? Through theology, through religion. In other words, if you believe in salvation by works, what do you need the Spirit of God for? You already got all this stuff figured out, okay? If you believe in the antinomian belief that Protestants cherish today, that Christians are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace, well, God will never give you his spirit if you believe that. 
you see. You'll never be granted the Holy Spirit of God if you believe that you're freed from the moral law by virtue of grace. Now, let's look at the two extremes here, salvation by works. When Jesus walked this earth, there was a theology that existed. He walked right into this. I mean, it, it, was, it was salvation by works. What they had at that time when Jesus walked this earth was something called the oral law. Now, the oral law was fence building around the Ten Commandments. And every one of the Ten Commandments, there were instructions on exactly how to keep each one of those Ten Commandments perfectly. Uh, the Sabbath day, you know, there was a Sabbath day journey. You couldn't walk but so far. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. Uh, you, you could pick a lot about harvesting. If you picked a few grapes off the vine, that's okay. But if you pick a cluster, you're harvesting. You can't do that. That's sin. So the oral law was fence building around each one of the Ten Commandments. And if you kept that oral law perfectly, you could achieve righteousness, self-righteousness, of course. But that was their form of righteousness. Now, Jesus, this is the mindset, the theology that Jesus came into when he walked this earth. Salvation by works. And he blew it out of the water. I mean, he blew out that you, you can't get right with God. First of all, you got to deal with your past, you know, your past sins. What are you going to, even if you get it right by keeping the law perfectly, what about all that past stuff you did? Who's going to forgive you of that? So he blew that concept out of the water, salvation by works. How long did this theology take to develop salvation by works that Jesus entered into and walked right into? It took hundreds, thousands, it took thousands of years. And basically, as long as people were believing that they could achieve their righteousness by works, they were cut off from God's Spirit. Now, let's take the other extreme, antinomian belief. That you basically, the antinomian belief exists today among the Protestant people and mainstream churchianity, mainstream Christianity. Antinomian is a person who maintains that a Christian, Christians are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace. Now, how long did this take to develop? Well, it took hundreds of years. It took thousands of years for this concept for, to be built upon and for people to believe, no, we have no obligation whatsoever toward the moral law. Now, when the Protestants first came out of Catholicism and adopted this antinomian teaching, I think originally the people, even though they said, okay, there's no, there's no duty toward the moral law, they, they, they understood, okay, they understood when they first came out that, well, of course, I mean, I'm not going to steal from my neighbor. I'm not going to take his wife. In other words, they, they still submit it to the, the, the morality of the law. But as generations came along, younger generations came along, they started thinking, well, if there is no duty toward the moral law of God, then why should I pay any attention to the laws of man? Over the process of time, this led to relativism, which, you know, what's right for me may not be right for you, and what's right for you may not be right for me. And then, of course, that led to, you know, the theory of evolution that we evolved from scum or, you know, something off the backside of, I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, it's a crazy concept. But it, it gave way, you know, relativism, evolution, all this eventually became the mindset. So 
this, this antinomian teaching that people are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace, it has led to the godless society that we see today. Because no one pays any attention to the moral law of God, and they barely pay any attention to the, moral, the laws of man. What I'm saying is, theology has led us to a godless society. The way we think about God, the way we think about God's law, has led us to a godless society. Think about that one. A church that requires nothing from you, nothing is exactly what you'll get in return. And that's the reason for it. In other words, for years, churches have been teaching this antinomian belief that Christians are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace. Okay, a church that requires nothing from you, nothing is what you get in return. And that's the reason for the, 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 the decline of the churches. I mean, young people, millennials today, they don't need, who needs a church? Why would you even darken the door of a church? It requires nothing of you. And so what I give it in return is nothing. No commitment, no nothing. Did you know that 7,000 churches close each year? Did you know 1,500 pastors quit each month? Did you know only 10% will retire a pastor? Think about that one. Think about the direction that we are headed as a nation. 7,000 churches close each year. 1,500 preachers quit each month. 10%, only 10% will retire a minister or a pastor of a church. That's the direction. Again, a church that requires nothing from you, nothing is what you get in return. Now, if you think this antinomian teaching doesn't exist, you've got your head in the sand. That is a person who maintains that Christians are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace. If you think it doesn't exist, just, just ask your preacher, just say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about keeping the fourth commandment now, the, the Sabbath day, and see what kind of response you get, you know. Since, you know, we're going to church on the first work day of the week. I'm going to start keeping God's seventh day Sabbath and listen to the response that you will get from your preacher. You will hear this antinomian teaching. Just tell someone you believe in keeping the, the law of God. You believe in the law of God. And you will hear in response this antinomian teaching that people are, that Christians are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace. Satan's greatest deception is to keep one from receiving the Spirit of God. How does he do that? Through religion and theology. You know, the antinomian teaching cuts people off from the Spirit of God. I mean, if you believe you are freed from the moral law, God will never grant you his Spirit. Why would I say that? I say it because of what the Scripture says. Hebrews 5 and verse 9. And being made perfect, speaking of Jesus, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Notice that. To all them that obey him. Now, if there's nothing to obey, because Christians are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace, then I guess there is no salvation either. If there's nothing to obey. I mean, this verse says, God, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So there must be something to obey, which means we're not freed from the moral law by virtue of grace. Acts 5.32, 
We are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. Yes, God gives his spirit. God does not give his spirit to rebels. Like I said, if you believe in this antinomian teaching that you're freed from the moral law by virtue of grace, you're never going to receive the spirit of God. And I think Satan has done a great job at deceiving the masses of religious people. I mean, think about what is the most important work of the church? Really? What, is, what are we supposed to be doing? Food banks for the poor, helping people, community service. Is that the greatest work of the church? You know, churches are always trying to figure out what they need to be doing. Let me tell you what you need to be doing. It's Acts 2 and verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? It is bringing what your church needs to be doing is bringing people to the point where they say, where people that you're ministering to says, what do I have to do? What do I need to do? And I tell you, Christians who believe they are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace, what's there to do? Tell me, what is there to do? If you believe you've been freed from the moral law, what is there to do? Absolutely nothing. And absolutely nothing is what we're getting in church. That's the results of the church. Nothing. It's pitiful. It's downright pitiful. The churches have become totally ineffective. They're, they have no value anymore. Oh, they do good works in helping people and feeding people, but that's about all they can do. Because they got a dead theology, you see. Before you can do a work of outreach, evangelism, you got to have the right theology. And I'm preaching to you right now the right theology, and you probably hadn't heard it for a long time. Acts 2 and verse 38 then Peter said to them, Here, here's what we do. This is what we do right here. Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. True access to God's Spirit and instructions on how, this, this is true access to God's Spirit and how to receive the, God, the Spirit of God. You see, you've got to repent. Repent of what? Sin. What is sin? The breaking of God's law, the Ten Commandments, Fourth Commandment included. Okay? You gotta repent. You gotta put up your white flag and surrender. God, I surrender my will to your will. Okay, no longer is it about me, it's about you. It's about me doing what you want me to do. Now, okay, I'm telling you. True access to the Spirit of God. You go down in the waters of baptism. You have a minister lay his hands on you and say, Father, this child stands before you clean. I ask that you grant this person your Holy Spirit. And at that moment of conception, <clears throat> it is a moment of conception. Just like when a man and a woman come together in love and you know what happens. Moment of conception. All right, this is a moment of conception when God's Spirit unites with your spirit and a new Creature in Christ starts to develop. This is real religion, folks. Real religion. What is that worth to know that? Do we value the things that God values? The greatest secret that's ever been given to mankind, that's ever been revealed from the pages of your Bible, and I'm trying to reveal this, and I'm going to offer you some stuff on how to receive the Spirit of God, how to know if you have the Spirit of God or not, but the greatest secret that's ever been given to mankind is how to receive the Spirit of God. There, there are millions of Christians who will never be able 
to receive the Spirit of God because of your theology, the way you think about God. You believe because you believe Christians are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace, and God will never grant you His Holy Spirit if you believe that. Now, I believe Satan hates this message that you're hearing today. Because I know his objective has always been to keep people from the Spirit of God. In the garden, he was there to cut man off from the tree of life, which basically symbolizes the Holy Spirit. That was his agenda. That was his objective, to keep them from receiving the Spirit of God. Romans 8 and verse 8 says, So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now here's the turning point. Here's the real turning point. Verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If the Spirit of God dwells in you. Have you gone through the process of receiving the Spirit of God? Have you gone through the process of receiving this? Because that word, if, that's the biggest two-letter word in the English language. If a man has the Spirit. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. You see, millions of people are cut off from God's Spirit. But they can, this is the good news, they can have access to the Spirit if they hear the message. What message? The one I'm preaching today. And that's a big if also. You're not going to hear it from your local church, I don't believe, a message like this. If, here it, is, here it is again, you can receive the Spirit of God if they hear a message like this, if, biggest two-letter word in the English language, if they surrender to the law that they claim they are freed from by virtue of grace. Yeah, if they surrender to the law that they claim, a lot of religious people, they are freed from by virtue of grace. Yeah, if you do that, if you can surrender to God's law, God may grant you His Holy Spirit. My question is this, will you receive the Spirit of God? You know, it starts here. It starts right here with what I want to offer you today. It's a couple things, I want to, three things I want to offer you today. One is, should you be baptized? Should you be baptized? You know, I, I don't know. The, the baptism represents the burial of the old man. The old man dies in a body of water. You go underneath that water, the old man is buried. And you come up ready to live a new way of life. You come up out of that water and you have hands laid on you for the receiving of the Spirit of God. God's Spirit unites with your spirit. And a new creature in Christ um, starts to grow inside of you. Also, how to receive the Spirit of God. Now, this, this information is critical. How do you receive? The, there is a way. There is a process. You don't pray the Spirit down. You don't uh, go to church and assume you have the Spirit of God. You don't get some religion and think, oh, yeah, I must have the Spirit of God now. I just feel like I have the Spirit. No, there, there is a way to receive the Spirit of God, and that's what this publication is all about. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. This information is so valuable. It is so 
critical to get this into your hands. I'll send that to you free of charge. Won't beg you for money. Won't, won't plead with you. Won't bother you either. Won't, won't, I won't put you on some kind of continuous mailing list <clears throat> where I bug you to death. Always begging for money. That's one thing I don't do is beg for money. You can put that in your pipe and smoke it. I do not beg for money, which is a great thing. It really is a great thing, especially coming from a preacher. It's, it's a great thing. I don't beg for money. All right. Last thing here, baptism counseling. You know, maybe you have been baptized. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you've been in church for 40 years and you feel like something's missing. Yeah, that's very possible. You know, church can become so routine and you can sort of get burnt out on church. You know, I'm not very impressed with God's fan club. Not, not God, it's not God that I have a problem with. It's God's fan club that I have a problem with. And, you know, you can get burnt out on church and you can think, wow, man, I, I don't know. I'm just not getting anything out of this anymore. God may be trying to tell you something. You know, often what God wants to change about a man or a woman is the way they think about God. The way you think about God, your theology, the, what, what you've been brought up, the way you've been programmed to think about God is critical. And if you're thinking wrongly about God, that can mess you up big time. It really can. You need to have a fresh, simplistic view about God and how God works. I tell you, I've given you a fresh view just by telling you that if you believe that you are freed from the moral law by virtue of grace, you're making a big mistake. Okay? You're making a big mistake. So, baptism counseling. What you should have known before being baptized. Now, I go through about, I forget how many questions, I, I, topics I go through. It's a, it's a two CD um, audio about things you should have known before you went down in the waters of baptism. Things that you should have been taught. Things that were expected of you. Things that God expected from you. You know, it's possible to go through the motion and miss the Spirit of God. And we sort of just console ourselves and think, well, I, I like Jesus, I love Jesus, and I, I, I think I'm saved, and I think I have the Spirit of God, and and God, the Spirit hasn't done anything great with me lately, and it hasn't done anything great in the last 40 years, you know. But I go to church, and I guess that's all it is to life, just going to church and, and just living your life. And then you get old, and you get ugly, and you kick the bucket, and that's it. No, a little bit more to it than that. The leadership of the Holy Spirit affects your life every single moment, every single day. That Spirit is working with you and through you. And I'm saying if you don't have it, you're not going to be aware of that daily um, leadership of the Holy Spirit. And it is leadership. It really is. You know, it's something that you can be in tune with. It's something that you can say, okay, all right, what, what am I thinking? What kind of stinking thinking do I have right now about God, about life in general? You know, what way do you want me to go, Lord? What do I need to do? The leadership of the Holy Spirit is there continuously. Once you receive it, once it unites with your spirit, truly a new creature starts to develop. A new creature in Christ starts to develop. And it is so powerful. You know, it's not the spirit, the leadership. It's not some kind of manifestation of gibberish. And you don't have to put on a show. 
You don't have to put on a show. That's not necessary. It's not about putting on a show. It's about humbling yourself, submitting to what God wants, His will, submitting to what He wants you to do. Today. Yeah, starts right now. God, what do you, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do tomorrow? Well, don't worry about tomorrow. Just worry about today. But to have that leadership there every single day of your life, when you get up fresh every morning and you say, okay, God's Spirit is here, and I'm going to be following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we run out in front of it, sometimes we lag behind. But if you can place yourself, if you can make sure you have the, 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 the first of all, make sure you have the Spirit of God in the first place. Don't just bank on your emotions. Find out through a knowledge base, step-by-step -step process with, the, with these two Bible studies, which will lead you through the process of how to receive the Spirit of God, and you can question yourself as to whether you did these things or not. Then also listen to the audio, which will answer more questions about things you should have known. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong by ordering, ordering this material. It may be the most important thing you do in your life is to order this material. Well, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? I, again, I want to mention, if you have questions, write me. Send me your questions in. I would love to do a program where I'm answering questions, reading the questions, answering the questions. People have questions. They want to know more. They want to know things about God. There's things that people don't understand about God. Not that I understand everything. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying I can try to help you. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? And I'll see you next time. Many people spend their whole life repeating the same old mistakes. What does it take to have good discernment and good judgment? It takes having the Spirit of God. But what many people overlook is the Spirit of God is not something that you are born with. Man was created incomplete, missing that spiritual element that would make him complete. The Bible clearly lays out the way to receive the Spirit of God. Learn the step-by-step -step process for receiving the Spirit of God. Order your free copy of Why You Need the Holy Spirit. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.org.